Thank you for joining us today and a big thank you to our show sponsor, Amazing Jane Activewear, recommended as best leggings for running by Women's Fitness Magazine. Karen and I have been trialing their designs for a few months and we can happily recommend them. All designs are cut to skim, not cling, giving you confidence to look and feel great and focus on performance. So if you'd like to try Amazing Jane Activewear, please use our listeners special discount code RHH10 for 10% off all purchases at amazingjane.com. Amazing Jane ship around the world, so please check their website for details. Welcome to our listeners' nutrition clinic. This is an episode where we answer questions that have been sent in to us by you, our listeners. So today we're going to be answering a couple of questions. The first one is how to overcome anxiety under race conditions, which might be leading to poor performance, and also how to manage low ferritin levels post-menopause. So if either of these questions resonate with you, please join us and Karen and I will share our advice. And if you've got a question that you'd like to pose, please send an email to hello at runnershealthhub.com and we'll be glad to feature you in our next nutrition clinic. Hello and welcome to She Runs, Eats, Performs, the podcast for female runners of all abilities. Please join Karen Campbell and Aileen Smith, nutritionists, friends and runners, who are here to help you translate sports nutritional science into easy to apply tips and plans, helping you enjoy peak running performance. And especially adding in the female factors every woman needs to know to be a healthy runner. The suggestions we make during this episode are for a guidance and advice only, and are not a substitute for medical advice or treatment. If you have any concerns regarding your health, please contact your healthcare professional for advice as soon as possible. If you'd like help from Karen and Aileen to design a personalised sports nutrition plan for your running, please contact them at Runners Health Hub. Welcome back. I'm Aileen and I'm here with Karen as always. So today is the fifth of our listener nutrition clinic episodes and these episodes are dedicated to answering questions we've received from you, our listeners. So the questions are linked to your nutrition for your running, performance and personal goals. And we have these episodes every few weeks. So if you've got any questions that you would like us to answer or discuss in this space, then please get in touch. You can email us at hello at runnershealthhub.com and we'd be really glad to feature you in a future episode. So as I said, we host the the clinic uh, periodically and uh, we choose um you know, from a selection of questions that we receive and we, we aim to share our insights and some tips that will hopefully support the individual who's posed the question. Uh, but hopefully sharing uh, their question and our answers will give you all some food for thought. Uh, but before we outline the questions that we're going to be discussing today, I'd just like to say a big welcome to our regular listeners. And if you're listening for the very first time, a warm welcome to you too. And we really hope you enjoy this episode and get an opportunity to listen to some of the episodes we've recorded in the past and enjoy many of the episodes to follow. Now, Karen and I absolutely love podcasting, uh, but we love it even more when we hear from you. So please drop us a line at hello at runnershealthhub.com to introduce yourself and share a little bit about your running and nutrition goals. It really helps us plan future topics for the podcast. 
We also have some free downloadable ebooks at our website, which is runnershealthhub.com. If you look at the top menu bar, you'll see free nutrition guides and you can see uh, what we have on offer there. Now, the most popular one is top running snacks and nutrient timing, and that's to help fuel you running. And the information that we share there goes alongside with much of the advice that we share in our episodes. So we hope it really helps you. So, Karen, um, let's get started. How are you today? I'm good, thank you, Aileen. Yes, ready to uh, ready to chat. Okay, brilliant. So perhaps you could introduce the questions uh, for today and explain who who sent the questions in. Yeah, absolutely. So hi, everybody. And yes, we've got two interesting questions to discuss today. And they are, the first question is, how do I overcome anxiety under race conditions, which leads to poor performance? And this was a question that was posed by uh, one of our listeners, Vanessa. And then the second question is, how do I manage low ferritin levels post-menopause? And this was the request of one of our Facebook group members. So um, so let's dive straight into question one, which is um, all about anxiety under race conditions. And um, I'm sure many listeners can relate to this. And Aileen, I'm just wondering, do you ever feel anxious before a race? And if so, h- how does it affect you? Um, I wouldn't say I get too anxious, but I imagine like most runners, I do feel a little bit nervous and a bit excited too. Um, You always go into imposter syndrome before you start a race, don't you? And you're looking around you thinking everybody else is better than me and why have I come here? Um, But I do find it helps me if I'm with friends in the lead up to a race and that helps to keep me occupied. Um, And like most people, I seem to need to visit the toilet a few times times before we start more often than I would normally um, but I, I find it's nice just to have a chat with whoever I'm, I'm either starting the race with or maybe it's a complete stranger who's st- at the start line and you can just pass the time of day with them and that helps calm me a little and I just try to remind myself that I'm prepared that I'll do my best and that everything will be fine um, and in the past, we, we've talked about having a race plan. And I think that really helps me if I've visualized how I'm going to be running, especially that beginning part of the race, because that helps settle me down. Um, so, yeah, that's how I, how it affects me. What about you, Karen? Do you suffer from any anxiety before a race? Well, like you, Aileen, I wouldn't say that it's anxiety exactly, but definitely nervousness, um, and and which leads to me um, st- to start questioning in my head again, a bit like you, that imposter syndrome: Am I capable of completing this this event? And I've done the training; I know I'm capable, but it's still that niggle. And I also find that I get lots of physical niggles. They just seem to appear out of nowhere when I'm at the start line. And and I suppose I know that they're psychosomatic. So I'm able to rationalise the whole situation and what's going on physically and psychologically. Um, But I find that I don't totally calm down until I'm at least 30 minutes into the race and I found my pace, I found my rhythm of breathing and and then all is well with the world. And I, I, I'm kind of, I'm in the flow of my run then and the, and the nervousness disappears. 
Oh gosh, if anybody could see what was going on inside our heads, it would be interesting, wouldn't it? Oh, no. um, well, let's let's uh, have a chat about Vanessa's scenario. So um, I'm going to start just by giving a bit more background information about Vanessa to put her question into context. Um, so Vanessa, Vanessa contacted us a little while ago and she explained that she's currently training for uh, the Irish Runner 5K in May this year. And it's, it's a race that she's taken part in for a number of years, uh, but she can't get a PB under 30 minutes. And that really frustrates her because she can do that sub 30 minutes in training um, and she goes on to say that she really enjoys the buzz of a live race but for some reason the anxiety takes over during the first kilometer uh, she says she feels in bits and she thinks that she was never going to complete this 5k and that leads us to stop and walk for a minute or two and she does this more than once and um, you know just hearing Vanessa sort of explaining what's going on we, we really feel your frustration because you know clearly you are capable of achieving a sub 30 minute 5k but it's the race conditions that seem to lead to the anxiety um so karen what what are your thoughts on vanessa's dilemma well actually my first thought really is that I think Vanessa's situation really highlights how powerful the psychology of running can be. And, you know, we've alluded to how it affects us. And, and I think that Vanessa's case kind of highlights that as well. And also what I would like to, to just say to Vanessa to reassure her is that she's not alone in this. You know, it is well recognized that race conditions can lead to anxiety in in many runners even professional and elite runners suffer from it so Vanessa you're not alone and within the amateur and re recreational running group it does tend to occur in people who put pressure on themselves to achieve so it's the high achievers within running um even at amateur level that this can affect yeah, well, it's, it's good to know that it's that you're not on your own, isn't it? When and that's the same with everything practically in running. There's always somebody that's going to have experienced something that you're going through. Um, one of the things I find interesting is that Vanessa decides to walk during the race. And it makes me wonder what her thought process is at, at that time. Um, uh, to me, uh, you know, just in my thoughts, I'm thinking that it's potentially at a subconscious level. She may be blocking her chances of success so by that I mean preventing yourself from accomplishing a goal for some reason yeah I would agree with that Aileen and that was exactly my thinking when Vanessa first wrote to us about her race day anxiety and 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 also from a physical point of view I also wondered if Vanessa might be setting off too quickly and running um too fast in the first one one kilometer therefore her body and mind are tired which then leads to the anxiety and that feeling of uh, you know, I can't keep going, so I'm just going to give up. Now, I did speak to Vanessa about this, and um, she did say that she tended to lack confidence in her abilities as a runner, and especially in races. And she was saying that she frequently compares herself to other runners, which seems to be linked in to this anxiety that she feels. Now, 
she said that when she's racing, her mindset is very much, I can't keep up this pace. I will run to the next tree, then I'm going to walk. Um, and they are much better than me. They make running look so easy. And it's all of this self-talk that is what leads to her to always do this walk running, walk running frequently through a race. Now, the thing is, she knows she is capable um, and and we and, um, because she's been able to do this sub 30 5K in training. So um, so once she's done this, stop walking, uh, um, walk running, walk running. She then starts to to beat herself up a bit by saying, why did I do that? I didn't need to stop. I could have kept going. What is the point now? I'm no good. So there's a lot of, of, of this. So she, she then gets into that negative spiral. So when, when we were talking, she did also admit that she, um, she does tend to run out too fast. That is something that's been picked up by, um, the running coach at her local club when she was doing some track sessions. And he had, um, recommended to her that she slow down at the outset of of any race and even in training just try and slow it down so that's something that you know uh, we had thought about when Vanessa contacted us and also her running coach had picked up on as well yeah it's interesting that uh, Vanessa's running coach observed that tendency to run out too fast and as you say that might be a contributory factor to her anxiety and the need to to walk um so practicing um a slower start probably would be really helpful. Um, Karen, you said that you've spoken to Vanessa about her anxiety. Um, what tips did you give her to try and alleviate this uh, pre-race anxiety or the during-race anxiety that she has? Yeah, well, firstly, what I did stress to Vanessa was that you know these thoughts and ideas are, are my own personal ones so my own personal recommendation really based on my own experiences but also working with many clients and um and, and I just sort of reiterated to her that they weren't taken from any primary research um and although I have a background in psychology and psychiatry this isn't my area of expertise um so so they were very personal so the tips I shared with Vanessa was um, we looked at getting her to think about completing a negative split uh, when she's racing. So for those of you who are unfamiliar with this term, it basically means that you run the second half of any race, actually, faster than you than you run the, the, the first half of the race. Now, there were two reasons that I recommended this for Vanessa. Um, the first was because it is potentially a good way of helping her slow down at the outside at, at the outset of the 5k race but also it gives her mind a focus therefore hopefully possibly that will help diminish the fe feelings of anxiety because she's got something to focus on now other tips that um, I gave her included, 
shifting her mantra you know she's she's there's quite a lot of like we were saying um negative self-talk when she's there so um so what I tried and a lot of comparing herself to others so we spoke about using the mantra I'm running my own race I'm running my own race so that she looks at what she's doing and her own achievements rather than what anyone else is doing in the race and trying to keep up with them beat them whatever it may be and um and and um yeah and and that was in the hope of sort of limiting her her um comparison with other runners and also we looked at um her trialing i will run to the next tree and see how i feel rather than i'm going to run to the next tree and stop um or walk um i'm going to run to the next tree and see how i feel and um and then uh we negotiated that if she was feeling okay, she would then continue running to the next landmark and she could choose what that landmark was. And then she could reassess, how am I feeling? I'm feeling okay. I'm capable of keeping running. So I'll keep going with that. And to continue with that thinking process throughout the run. And again, it gives her brain something to think about rather than focusing on others and um, what they're doing. Now, alongside focusing on a negative split, I also suggested to Vanessa that she focus on running the whole distance rather than what time she completes it in. So it's just about finishing it and finishing the race, having run it all the way, because then again, she'll know that she's capable of running a whole race um, and then she can work on the time in the future. So those were the key things that we spoke about, Aileen. Yeah, well, that's some really great advice there, Karen. And, you know, I think I'm, I'm listening and thinking of times where I've maybe wanted to stop and how just slowing down and pacing yourself can really help rather than stopping completely. So um, great tips, Vanessa, um, and lots to think about uh, for Vanessa when she's uh, completing her training and then and then her next race. It'll be really interesting uh, to see how Vanessa gets on. Yeah, definitely. And I agree. And I did give Vanessa quite a lot to think about. But by doing that, my hope is that having to concentrate on different aspects of her running, it will just help to crowd out any anxiety and negative thinking. So watch the space. Um, Vanessa, if you are listening, do let us know um, how your next race goes and if these tips were helpful um, to you at all. And if anybody else suffers from race anxiety, I would just say do share your experiences and let us know how you try or how you do manage to overcome them. You know, I think it would be really great if we could all support each other in just trying to minimise any running or racing psychological or physical issues actually it's about sort of supporting supporting each other so um so that was Vanessa um Aileen before we move on um to speak about our next question or answer the next question um I just wondered if we would maybe pause for a short advert break so you Right. Yes. So, well, this is the part of the episode where Karen and I take a minute to talk to you about what we do outside of the podcast. So um, 
today I thought we'd share our one-to-one personalised nutrition services because this is really where we can help you on a one-to-one basis. Um, So it's for you if you want some focused and personalised advice and support to help achieve your health and running goals. And obviously we're focusing on um, nutrition, but we do like to take a holistic approach to health and performance. So we always consider a client's physical, psychological and emotional status whenever we're negotiating change. And, you know, just reflecting on what Karen was talking about with Vanessa, I think sometimes just having a chat about things can really help. Um, just get it out there. Um, and, you know, there's an opportunity to do that when you're working one to one with us. So the, the program's perfect for anyone training for a race of any distance and, um, and it includes, um, three key aspects. So nutrition essentials is the first aspect where we discuss everyday nutrition and we identify any areas to fine tune. We'll review a current food plan and running goals and give recommendations for everyday nutrition foundations. The next next aspect of the program is looking at running specific nutrition, and that's where we're looking at pre, during and post fueling uh, for your running. And we also build in the athlete play concepts uh, for your training plan. We look at what your overall weekly running training plan is, plus any other scheduled exercise, and we'll suggest what foods, how much and when to support that um, fueling. And then we move on to race day nutrition. Um, so we look at meal planning for race day, um, which will include um, fueling for your race, plus some practical tips to help your race day go smoothly. And we plan your nutrition in the week leading up to the race. And it is probably appropriate to say that we don't do this all in one go. Uh, we spread this over a few weeks. So there's, there's plenty of time for you to put the action steps that we suggest into place and and we coach you to get ready for your big day. So it's really an ideal program if you're training for an important race and you want to be in your best shape and condition physically and mentally on the big day. So if you are interested in the one-to-one nutrition plans, what we suggest you do is you book a complimentary call with us Then we can find out more about your goals and we can suggest the best way of working with us to get the results that you desire. So if you look at our website, runnershealthhub.com, click on the work with us page and you'll see a booking link for that uh, free work with us call. And We look forward to hearing from you. Great. Thanks, Aileen. Okay, so now let's move on to our second question, which was a request from one of our Facebook group members, like I say. Now, although we we feel that this member would be happy for for us to share her name, she hasn't confirmed this, so we won't reveal it here. Instead, we will will give her a name. So we're going to use the name Flo just to help the conversation flow, pardon the pun. Um, So that's what we will do to keep keep her her confidence. Um, And just to remind you of what Flo's question was, she was asking, how do I manage low ferritin post-menopause? So that was the question. Aileen, maybe you could give us a little bit of background on Flo. Yeah, sure. So um, Flo uh, told us that she'd recently had some blood test, which revealed a normal haemoglobin, but with borderline ferritin levels. Uh, now, Flo is in her 60s. She's postmenopause, but she's still completing marathons. And her next marathon is um, towards the end of April. So um, not very far away. Um, 
so it's important for her that she um, gets this um, this issue addressed. So, Karen, uh, maybe you could uh, start by outlining why it's important to test for both hemoglobin and ferritin uh, when you're having blood tests done. Yes, absolutely. And actually, it's great to hear that Flo did have both done rather than just pure iron levels or hemoglobin um, only. So um, just in case anybody is unaware, you know, iron is um, what we take in and it's required for the synthesis of hemoglobin and red blood cells. Then hemoglobin itself is needed to transport oxygen around the body. And then the ferritin is our stored form of iron. So, so really from that, you can see that testing for any of them might be helpful to a degree. However, including ferritin in that testing is really important because you could potentially have sufficient circulating iron and circulating hemoglobin, but with very low ferritin stores, it would mean that you've got no reserves. So if the ferritin isn't addressed, it could lead to an iron deficiency state pretty quickly um, with the accompanying um, and quite debilitating symptoms that go with an, a low iron status. But, you know, quite often people will have normal haemoglobin levels. Ferritin's not tested, but it's it's borderline low, like flows is. So um, so yeah, ferritin's an important marker of um, of iron status. Yeah, and it sounds to us that maybe Flo had the test done as a a standard, you know, checking up on how she was doing, sort of screening test. Um, but th there may be other uh, symptoms that she's picked up on or symptoms that we can share with everybody today that might indicate that um, there's potentially an iron insufficiency or deficiency. And they would include feelings of tiredness, fatigue and lethargy. Um, you might notice that you've got pale skin on the um inner part of your mouth or your nails or even the inner part of your of lining of your eyes. Um, also thin, brittle, pale or spoon shaped nails is another indicator and brittle hair. Um, now, depending on how deficient an individual is, some people might also experience that you know, they've got a reduced resistance to infections. They're, they're getting headaches and lightheadedness, um, rapid heartbeat and, and low blood pressure is another one. You might notice a sore, smooth uh, red tongue, a decreased appetite, reduced cognition and mood, perhaps disturbed sleep and also restless leg syndrome. But that might also be a symptom of magnesium deficiency. So there's it, you can see because of the range of symptoms why it might be really important to test. Mm, absolutely. Now, Flo didn't actually um, tell us which, if any, symptoms she's experiencing at the moment. And it could be that she's not experiencing any currently, because like you were saying, Aileen, it seems to be a, a part of just a routine test um, panel that she was doing. However, if Flo doesn't start to address and, and top up her iron intake to help top up her ferritin stores, any symptoms um, could start to appear very soon. So it's great that um, 
she is thinking about ferritin levels and hopefully some of the ideas that we give her here will help her to um to uh, to address that and try and improve it now the other big question here regarding flow is why are her iron stores so low now she's postmenopause so heavy menstrual bleeding can be ruled out as a, as a potential factor there um but it would be important, I would say, for Flo to discuss this with her medical practitioner, just in case there is a need for any further medical investigation um, to get to the root cause of the low ferritin. Now, as long as there are no medical reasons for her low ferritin um, levels, some other potential reason for um, Flo's status, current status. It could be that she just isn't taking in enough um, iron. She's not eating enough iron-rich food. So maybe she's um, she's not eating a huge amount of red meat. Maybe she's vegetarian, vegan, pescatarian. We don't know um, if Flo does follow any specific diet for lifestyle or ethical reasons. Or potentially it could be that she has reduced iron absorption. Now, this can be associated with a high intake of foods containing what's known as absorption inhibitors or anti-nutrients. Um, and these can include um, calcium and um, calcium containing foods, also legumes and nuts and seeds contain these anti-nutrients. But also low gastric acid can reduce the absorption of iron. And, you know, it, it, it does occur, the gastric acid reduces as we age. So that may be a factor here for flow. Um yeah, maybe she's not taking in many foods that help to um, to absorb iron efficiently. So iron absorption enhancers. Now, they can be um, found in foods rich in um, vitamin C that can help to encourage the absorption of, um, of iron. But also it might be that there's some inflammation um, within the, the GI tract, that gastrointestinal tract, and that potentially could be due to maybe an infection, IBS, um, dysbiosis, so that imbalance of gut bacteria, or maybe it's running induced inflammation of the gut because um you know she does run marathons so she's doing that endurance training and and again she like i say she's an, an endurance runner an endurance athlete so it could be that she just needs more iron she needs an increased amount because the amount that we need postmenopause reduces but as um, endurance runners it might be that there's still a need for a higher amount. So those are just some potential um, non-medical um, reasons why um, Flo might be might have a low ferritin status. Um, Alien, have you got anything you would you would add there? Yeah, well, just thinking about um, you know her increased iron requirements. So there's a, a few reasons for that. So um, you know. If she if, if she's suffering from iron loss, that might be as a result of injury or, you know, you talked about, um, you know, the fact that she's doing a lot of training and that might be ex causing exercise induced uh, gastrointestinal bleeding. Um, and that might not be obvious. You know, it might just be 
um, internal and you're not seeing it. Um, it also could be due to sweat loss. Another thing that um, can happen is that you might have something called um, an, an increased hepcidin production. So that is an iron binding hormone that's produced in, in the gut and um, increased production of hepcidin might be caused by running induced GI inflammation. So that's really, um, again, it, it's binding up the iron and not allowing you to use it. Now, something we've talked about in previous episodes is something called running induced hemolysis. So that's where your heel strike uh, leads to micro bleeding of the small capillaries in the heel of the foot. So, you know, there's quite a few potential causes. And, um, if, you know, if if flow, um, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll let the real flow know <laughs> that we're answering a question today. So if any of these are uh, resonating with you, um, that would be interesting to know. And for everyone else, if you are experiencing any of the symptoms we've mentioned, um, or you can identify with any of these possible causes of low iron, low ferritin status, it really would be worthwhile having levels uh, tested. Now, uh, your GP or your medical practitioner should be able to refer you for testing as long as you can justify the reasons why uh, you're asking for it. And and if uh, if not, or if it's more convenient, you could do a private test. It's not a difficult thing to do. Um, it's certainly something that we could support you with. So, um, again, if you are interested in, in booking some tests, you can have a complimentary call with us first. Um, so using the same link that we mentioned earlier um, at runnershealthhub.com or just drop us an email um, at hello at runnershealthhub.com and we can give you some advice. Yeah, definitely. And it's 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 best to test um, just to check. So, OK, so let's move on now and think about foods um, to help improve Flo's uh, ferritin status. Now, she says her levels are borderline low rather than deficient. So potentially there isn't a need for um, introducing iron supplementation. But on the other hand, if we were to, say, have a conversation with Flo around her health status overall, as well as her dietary preferences and the potential causes of her low ferritin, it might be that a, a supplement would be required for a period of time, but we would need to have that conversation with flow first. Now, we strongly advise against taking iron supplements without testing and consulting with a medical or a nutritional professional because iron at high levels is toxic to the body. So just bear that in mind. Now, here we always um, speak about and take a food first approach. And um, and as we've got limited information on Flo's case, we're going to look at doing that with, um, with Flo. So thinking about iron and iron rich foods, they are divided into two categories. So there's heme iron rich foods and there's non-heme uh, food sources. Now, heme iron is predominantly found in red meat and um, red meat contains the highest amount of iron of any food, really. So what I would say here is as long as flow isn't following a specific diet, then um, 
introducing the heme iron food sources would really be recommended for her, certainly for a period of time, because it is the most bioavailable form of iron and the most easily absorbed from the digestive tract. Now, meat sources that are particularly high in heme iron include lamb, beef and liver. So um, so just worth bearing that in mind for everybody. But it also is found um, in other meats and fish and poultry, but in lower quantities. So um, so that's heme iron. Ailey, maybe you could say a little bit about non-heme iron. Yeah, well, non-heme iron is an iron salt found in plant foods. And although it's in a smaller amount uh, than it's found in meat, fish and poultry. Um, and also non-heme iron isn't as easily absorbed because it requires converting into its soluble form um, before it can be absorbed. So um, you will find... Um, you, in plant foods, you you only get non-heme iron, and um, the the foods that uh, we would recommend that you focused on would be uh, cereals, grains, legumes, uh, fruit and vegetables, eggs, and blackstrap molasses. Now, uh, the fruit and vegetables that are particularly high in non-heme iron include dried apricots, broccoli, dates, raisins, uh, dark green leafy vegetables, and herbs and peas. And you also might find it in fortified foods. So it's worth just reading labels to see if there's been any additional non-heme iron added, because that might be a way of uh, topping you up. Yes, absolutely. And the problem with non-heme iron really is that there are these anti-nutrients. Now, they're naturally found in plant-based foods, but they are anti-nutrients that can inhibit, um, inhibit the absorption of iron. So, for example, phytates that are found in the grains and legumes that you were speaking about, Aileen, but also um, tannins and um, that are found in, in grains as well and nuts and seeds and also coffee and tea um, and all of those we kind of mentioned before. Now, we're unable really to go into any depth about this here. However, we have an episode that's dedicated to iron where we do discuss how you can reduce the effect of these anti-nutrients. So, Flow, we would really recommend that you go back and listen to this episode. And also for everybody, if iron status um, is a, a, a potential issue for you, then um, you might want to go back and listen to this episode as well. So it was episode 25 and it was titled Iron Women. So um, so for Flo and everybody else, if, if you feel that you might be low in iron, then... Um, and want to sort of increase your iron-rich foods, then you might want to go back and learn more about these anti-nutrients and how you can reduce their effects. Now, although many plant foods contain iron absorption inhibitors, there are ways of encouraging or enhancing iron absorption, which I mentioned briefly earlier, and that includes um, eating foods that contain vitamin C or ascorbic acid, as it's sometimes known. And it's a potent iron absorption enhancer. And foods to think about having alongside your iron-rich foods um, 
that include vitamin C are um, strawberries, red bell peppers, kiwi fruits, and, and clearly the citrus fruits as well. Now, there are many other foods, but these ones um, are particularly high in vitamin C. And it's thought that 100 milligrams of, of vitamin C can enhance iron absorption by up to 85%. Um, but if the, if the food that's high in iron um, also has some phytic acid or um, any other absorption inhibitor in it, then up to 500 milligrams of vitamin C would be required to help to try and negate the effects or reduce the effects of these anti-nutrients. So, um, and just to remember that um, meat, fish and poultry, they also have an absorption enhancing effect on both heme iron and non-heme iron. And it's said that 50 grams of meat um, could enhance non-heme iron absorption in a meal um, containing up to 220 milligrams of phytic acid. Now, clearly, this is only going to work if you're eating um, plant-based iron-rich foods, but you're not a vegetarian. You wouldn't be able to, to use uh, meat, fish and poultry if you're vegetarian or vegan. But also just remembering that a low stomach pH as well. So that acidic environment could also help to enhance that iron absorption. So there are lots of ways of trying to encourage as much absorption as possible because, and I think it's really important to, to, to keep this in mind because of the foods that we eat, just generally iron rich foods that we eat, we naturally only absorb between 15 and 35% of the iron contained within. So by including these enhancers and trying to reduce the um, inhibitors, it's going to really sort of help to encourage the, 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 the maximum um, absorption that we can, that we can, that we can um, do. So if that makes sense, Aileen. Yeah, it does. And I think there's lots of good advice there. And also it helps just understand why, you know, it's so difficult to have your, your you know, optimal iron levels and optimal ferritin levels. So there's there's lots of things conspiring against us. So it's important that you uh, take on board all of the different advice to help. Um, so hopefully uh, this will have helped um, answer Flo's question and uh, will also give everybody else some ideas about how you can increase and maintain your ferritin levels because as Karen says it's a very important uh, nutrient. Um, and um, I guess um, one of the, the final messages is just to really stress the importance of discussing uh, whatever your results are with your medical practice, practitioner um, and you know if you want to consider further testing um, try and establish why you to try and establish why your levels are low um, so you know as Karen says test don't guess so I guess it's time to wrap up the episode um, but before we go Karen would you um, be able to um, give us some key takeaways? 
Yes, absolutely, Aileen. So firstly, um, you know, thinking about Vanessa's question, it is well recognised that race conditions can lead to anxiety in runners, even professional and elite runners suffer from it. But there are things that a runner can do to try to overcome their own personal anxiety. Now, when... um, anxiety when anxious if somebody's feeling anxious it can lead to negative thinking and a way to try to alleviate this is to find a positive mantra that you can tap into during a race and everybody will have an individual mantra but thinking about a positive mantra that you can tap into And another tool that may help minimise anxiety is to concentrate on different aspects of your running to help crowd out any anxious thoughts. So, for example, for Vanessa, um, I got her to focus on her running speed and about achieving a negative split over her 5K distance. So just thinking about what could you concentrate on for your running? And then moving on to Flo's question, um, just as a reminder that that stored iron is known as ferritin. And when testing for iron status, it is important to check the ferritin levels as well, because results could show normal hemoglobin levels, but with low ferritin status, suggesting that iron insufficiency or deficiency might be imminent. And if you think that you may have a low iron status, then test, don't guess, and don't take iron supplements without professional guidance because, like I said earlier, iron at high levels is toxic to the body. And just remember that iron in in food comes in two forms. So you've got your heme iron, which you'll find predominantly in meats and non-heme iron from plant-based foods with heme Um, iron being the most bioavailable and easily absorbed. So if you're not following a specific diet for any ethical reasons, then eating meat-based foods would be um, what would be recommended, especially beef and liver, because they are particularly high in heme iron. And really, that's it, Aileen. Thanks, Karen. And uh, a big thank you to Vanessa and Flo for the excellent questions. Hopefully everyone listening has benefited in some way from the information given. And if you've got a question that you'd like us to answer, uh, do get in touch. We'd be really happy to um, help. And remember, everyone, don't let nutrition be the limiting factor in your running performance. Well, this brings us to the end of another episode of She Runs, Eats, Performs, brought to you by Runners Health Hub, helping female runners to be fitter, faster and stronger. We really hope you've enjoyed listening and you'll join us again soon. In the meantime, we'd be so grateful if you check us out on iTunes and leave a review. And once again, thanks for listening and do let us know if there are any topics you'd like us to cover in future episodes. Bye for now. We'd like to introduce you to our show sponsor, Amazing Jane Activewear for Women's Changing Bodies, recommended as best leggings for running by Women's Fitness Magazine. We think they have everything a female runner needs. First of all, they are high compression to support your legs and bum, 
They have a deep waistband so they stay up and they don't move about when you run. There's a handy left pocket for your phone and a zip pocket on the waistband which is great for your cards or a key. They also have a hidden tracker pocket for storing a GPS tracking device and this is a unique safety feature. All Amazing Jane designs, including tanks and tops, are cut to skim, not cling, giving you confidence to look and feel great and focus on performance. Karen and I have been trialling wearing their range for a few months and we can happily recommend them. So if you'd like to try Amazing Jane Activewear, please use our listeners' special discount code RHH10 for 10% off all purchases at amazingjane.com. Amazing Jane ship around the world, so please check their website for details. Thanks again to Amazing Jane Activewear for being our show sponsor and for sharing discount code RHH10 for 10% off all purchases.